Well, good morning, Oakwood. Just want to say happy Father's Day to all the fathers that are with us today. And uh, our prayer as a church is that you would just uh, take that job so seriously, uh, but to parent uh, your kids and the next generation with joy and with integrity and to uh, challenge your children uh, to just be Christ followers because you set the tone for the home as a dad. And we just want to say uh, congratulations on that today. Uh, thank you for being a dad and just pray that you always honor God um, in, in your fathering. Uh, we are excited that you're here this morning, and also for all of those that are online, uh, thanks for uh, tuning in to, with us this morning. Uh, it's been fun over the last several weeks to do uh, just kind of a, a bunch of standalone sermons, not be part of a series, uh, but we will be starting a series next week. It's called Better. Um, when, when life gives you choices, choose better. And uh, Alan Seibel will be doing that as I'm uh, going on sabbatical, and that will be our summer series. It's going to be a, a great, great series, so I invite you to be uh, coming back and uh, stay tuned for that over the next several weeks. Uh, today, uh, the title of the message is The Door, and we're going to be talking about the doors from Scripture. Now, what's cool about doing standalone sermons is all of those studying uh, you know, wild ideas you've had and studying through the years, uh, sometimes you can do that in a standalone message. And where I got the inspiration for this is uh, my family was at um, North American Christian Convention uh, two or three summers ago. And we went to, uh, we were up in Indianapolis, Indiana, and we went down to southern uh, Indiana, northern Kentucky area. And what we found as we went down there was the Ark Encounter. And I don't know if you've ever heard of that or, or seen that. Maybe some of you have even been there. But it's a huge replica of Noah's Ark. Two, two specks. I mean, it's huge. It's built in the middle of the wilderness there. And you go on this tour of the ark. One of the interesting things they, they, they give you at the end of this tour on the ark encounter is this, this visual of the doors of the ark. And they talk about what was the significance of the doors of the ark. So it got me to thinking about that, and, and I came back, and I wanted to study doors in the Bible. What does that represent? And it's really, it's really interesting what you can find out there. Uh, the word door appears in the Bible 273 times. So there's 273 times in Scripture where uh, in the Hebrew, um, in the Old Testament, in the Greek, in the New Testament, that word for door is actually used. And what's interesting is most of the time it's used, it represents something that's very significant. It represents one side of the door is God's mercy, His love, His grace that He has for us. And on the other side of the door, it represents kind of being out of God's grace and His love and His mercy. Being on the outside, it represents uh, God's judgment. And this is true and this is accurate because God is, in Scripture, referred to as the righteous judge. And because He is holy, He wants us to be holy as He is holy. Now we know that that is only possible for us to do because of the blood of Jesus Christ. The only way we can be counted as righteous to be forgiven of our sins that we commit and to be made perfect in God's eyes is through the filter of that blood of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to be talking about that today. We're going to begin with the first door ever mentioned in the Bible. It's found in Genesis chapter 6. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn there this morning. If you're following along on your phone or tablet, uh, you can uh, go to uh, the Oakwood app. You can follow along there. All the sermon notes and all the bullet points are there for you. Um, but if you're old school like me, get out your Bible, Genesis chapter 6. If you want to use the Bible that's right there provided for you, just turn it to page 5. Genesis means beginnings. It's a book of beginnings. So as we read this chapter, when we read about what God's about to do, I want you to remember this is six chapters into the Bible. Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's how close we are 
to Genesis chapter 6. I mean, God has just created the heavens and earth. He's just created mankind. We get to chapter 3 of Genesis, and there's the fall of man. The fall of man was Adam and Eve sinning against God. And then here we get to chapter 6 of Genesis. And the first door that we encounter in the Bible, you talk about significant doors in the Bible, the first one we encounter is the ark door. First time it's mentioned in the Bible. Let's read about it here. Genesis chapter 6. We're going to begin this morning with verse 11. Genesis chapter 6, verse 11. And pay attention to these words. I want you to think about this in the context of Genesis 6, right after creation of the fall of man, but also to think about it in the context of today. Does any of this sound relative for today? Does it sound like the, the world that we live in today? It says, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. We see any violence in the world, world today? Behold, it was violent. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all the flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. It's like, God, six chapters ago, you just created the earth, and now you're doing this. Look at verse 14. He gives Noah specific instructions. He says, hey, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. Its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it with a cubit above. And set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. And so right there we read, there is going to be a door on the side of this boat. And you need a door. There's got to be a way to get in, right? There's got to be a way to get out. And so that's the first mention of a door in Scripture. Is right there in, in Genesis chapter 6, verse 16. Verse 17 now, it says, For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, in which is the bread, breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, and your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kind, of the animals according to their kinds, of creeping things on the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come in and you come into you and to keep you for you to keep alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them, meaning the animals. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. I want you to notice that. That Noah did all that God commanded him. Then we get to chapter 7. It says, And then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. You have to understand, it took a long time to build the ark. Uh, some scholars believe it took a hundred years of Noah's life to build the ark. And during that time, I'm sure there were many encounters with what is this huge mammoth boat, this ark that you're building? He had probably talked with people in the community uh, people could see that ark from miles around. I know the ark encounter, um, it's kind of in this hilly part, but you could probably see that ark encounter from 25, 30 miles away. That's how big it is. It is so enormous. And so I'm sure it caused a stir and, 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 you know, and, and God's saying, even through all of this, you're being righteous. You're doing what I'm asking you to do. You're, you're, you're doing the instructions of building the ark. You're actually, you're actually standing up for righteousness in this world that is corrupt. 
Verse 2, it says, Take with you seven pairs of all the clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain, and on the earth for forty days and for forty nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all the Lord had commanded him. Again, in verse 5 of chapter 7, it says, the, Noah did all the Lord had commanded him. Verse 6 says, Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters came upon the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his son wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Of clean animals and of animals that are not clean and of birds and of everything that creeps upon the ground, two by two, male and female, they went into the ark with Noah as God commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. And so he's loading the ark during this time. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all of the fountains of the great deep burst forth. It's talking about flooding actually coming up from the earth, from from the earth itself. And then it says, And the windows of heaven were opened, so the first rainfall comes. Verse 12, And the rain fell on the earth forty days and forty nights. On the same day that Noah and his sons, Shem and Ham and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark, they and every beast according to its kind, and all the livestock according to their kinds, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh, in which there was the bread of life. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God commanded him. And the Lord shut him in. It's interesting to me, as we begin this passage, is that it's the Lord that shuts the door of the ark. He instructs Noah to put the door there, and then it says that after Noah and his family, his wife, his son's wives, and all the animals were loaded, it says the Lord shuts the door. What's interesting about that is this symbolism to us, this message about it's time to get on the boat. It's time for you to consider getting in the ark of the Lord. Because when the floodwaters come, there's safety. When you're doing what the Lord has told you to do and you obey Him and you become a part of His family and you are inside. See, these doors in Scripture often, they, times they represent being inside of God's family or being outside of God's family. This door represents so much. And it's the Lord is the one that shuts it. It wasn't Noah. It wasn't, it wasn't one of his boys. The Lord comes in and says, this is, this is it. This is final. I, I don't know about you, but when I was like in Sunday school, I remember uh, having you know, p- uh, pictographs and uh, we had these uh, papers we took home that were like co- Christian comics called Radar. Um, and we had all this stuff. And I remember reading the Noah's Ark story and I remember having a picture of as the wor- world, uh, as the rains came and the floods came, I remember this picture of the Ark is beginning to float and people are like you know, chest high in water and they're beating on the side of the ark. They're beating literally on the door of the ark. And they're crying out because they, you know, a lot of scholars believe there wasn't rain until Genesis chapter 6 because we just don't have any evidence of it in Scripture. 
That when, when God created the Garden of Eden, God created the world, it was self-sustaining. It didn't need to have rain. And, and part of the fall of man and sinfulness and, and God destroying the earth in Genesis chapter 6, uh, maybe that was the first rain that people had ever seen. And so they're really freaking out because they feel like, oh, the water's coming up from the earth because it said in the Scripture we read that the fountains of the earth were opened up. It's also raining from overhead. And, and so these people are feeling really desperate. And they're like, man, you know, Noah had invited us for some of us for 100 years. Hey, when the time comes, you should get on the boat with me. And they called him a fool. And now that they've loaded all the animals, which was probably quite a spectacle, and, the, and he loaded his family, the Lord shut the door and said, no, no one else is getting on the boat. I don't know, it doesn't really say in Scripture if the people were beating on the outside of the boat, but I just remember seeing that and having that illustration in my mind that some people aren't getting in. Folks, the door is going to close someday. And we need to be ready. We need to make sure we have our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and a question you get a lot in ministry nowadays is, well, when is it? When's it coming? Okay. The Bible specifically says that no one knows the day or the hour, not even the sun. But God holds that knowledge. And when He decides the right time is coming, it will happen. But He does say there will be some signs, there will be some, some signs coming. And so I want to share a couple of those uh, with you this morning. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-5, through 5, it, it talks about the last days before Jesus returned. This is what it says. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Is it difficult today? Life easy? More difficult? Getting more difficult for you maybe? The people will be lovers of themselves. They will be lovers of money. They will be proud and, and arrogant and abusive. They'll be disobedient to their parents. Ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. That's what the way the world will be right before Jesus returns. Can you relate to any of that? Are you seeing any of this trends maybe in our, in our culture? And ever more on the increase. It's going to be happening more with, with more frequency as the days come. In Matthew 24, Jesus was having a private conversation with his disciples. It says this, As he, being Jesus, the Son of God, sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? See, they were even wanting to know. When? How will we know? And Jesus answered them. He answered them. He said this, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name saying, Well, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. And you'll hear of wars, and you'll hear of rumors of war. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not quite yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, and there will be earthquakes in various places, and all these are but the beginning of the birth pains. And Jesus goes on in that, in that chapter, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24, and just explains even more in depth into some deep things that are going to happen in the world. Now, we see all of these things happening. We, we, we see wars and rumors of war, and we see famines. In fact, we see all of these things uh, with more frequency. This is a sign of the end times, is when you see all of these signs with more frequency. Dave Reagan, who is a great uh, Bible prophecy teacher, uh, he came to Oakwood several years ago. He shared a talk called The End Time Sign of the Exponential Curve. 
the end time sign of the exponential curve. And what he was talking about is how everything is going faster and everything is increasing in frequency and duration and just things, it feels like it's spinning out of control. And it's in many, many different areas. Now he named, I think, 12 in his sermon. I, I, I just brought uh, for a visual this morning some charts that's going to show you what four of these are. This first one here is natural disasters. Are they on the increase? Yes. Do you hear about earthquakes and, and famines and, and even like plagues in Africa, the locusts? You know, eating up all the crops there. They're on increasing frequency. Then there's the information, internet technology. Uh, again, on the increase, the way the information is passed. We're going to talk about that here in a second. The next one is, is debt, the national debt. Look how the national debt is increasing. The American exponential curve of indebtedness. And it's just getting worse and worse and worse. And then the last one here is population growth of the earth. I mean, it seems like we were, we were, we were level and then all of a sudden just, Wow. Almost all these charts look like a COVID-19 chart, don't they? You know, they're on, on the increase, right? Yeah, everything increasing. More signs, more frequency, and that is just a few. In the book of Daniel, when you read the prophet Daniel, there's some uh, Scripture in there that talks about in the last days, there'll be an ever-increasing in frequency of travel and of knowledge. With the internet today... I mean, I could ask you, you know, if, if sports were going on, I could ask you right now, I could say, what time is the Cardinals baseball game today? You could grab your phone and usually within about seven seconds have me an answer. Information and data are at our fingertips, uh, ever more increasing. The travel is so easy now. I mean, you could be halfway around the world in, in just a number of hours on a plane. All of these end time signs, all of these groanings of our world, whether it be the natural, uh, earthly things, uh, whether it's other things that are going on, or even some things that seem supernatural to us, they're happening, and they're happening more frequent, frequently. And I feel like the warning signs are there for us to say, hey, the door to God's ark is going to close, and you, my friend, need to be ready. There's other things that, that I, I didn't even mention. They're just on the increase. And then Jesus says in Matthew 24, it says, and then the end will come and the door will be shut. And if you haven't made that decision for Jesus Christ, it's too late. Scripture's very, very clear about that. I wanted to spend most of our time this morning focusing on the door of the ark because I just feel like the illustration there it, it, it is so relevant for us. That we need to understand that we need to make that decision. That if God is floating us an ark, and the ark offers a relationship with him that, that has so many benefits other than just eternal life. As our best life in store for us now here in this world, it gives us hope. It gives us joy in the face of all the sorrow, all the corruption, all the violence that the world could offer us today. Our joy is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he gives us all that plus eternal life. And he extends it, God extends that to us freely through his son Jesus Christ, through the sacrifice that he made on the cross. But we've got to go to the door. We've got to make that decision. Are we going to be inside or are we going to be outside of God's family? Now, 273 times in Scripture, obviously the ark is not the only door. It's just the earliest door. But there are several other doors. I want to share just a few of those with you this morning. This is in no way an exhaustive list. There's many other doors mentioned in Scripture. Another significant door, though, if you think about it, is the Passover door. You know the story. It's found in Exodus chapter 12. 
The Passover door was uh, the door of the tenth plague um, of Egypt. If you remember, uh, God had sent Moses to Egypt, and, and Moses had gone to Pharaoh and said, hey, let my people go. And Pharaoh's like, no, I'm not going to let your people go. And then so Moses and the Lord had gotten together, and the Lord had decided, I will send plagues upon Egypt. And they had plagues, all kinds of plagues, gnats and flies and locusts and crops and fiery hailstones and all of these things happening. And then you got to the tenth plague, the final plague, because God knew this is the one that's going to really get the Egyptians to let Israel go was the plague uh, to kill the firstborn male in every household. And there was only one remedy for it, and only the Hebrews knew the answer and had the key. God had told them, you take the blood of the lamb, and you take that blood and you wipe it over your doorpost. And then when the angel of death comes to to, um, to execute the tenth plague, those of you that have the blood of the Lamb on your doorpost, the angel of death will pass over your doorpost and you'll be saved because of the blood of the Lamb. Those that are inside, once again, represents safety, represents God's deliverance, represents salvation, represents life. Those on the outside, it represents death and judgment. The Passover door. Uh, another door in Scripture that we see is the temple door. When I talk about the temple door, a lot of people imagine the temple doors like on the outside that lead to the outer courts of the temple. And those aren't really the doors that I'm talking about. I'm talking about the, the rather large doors that were inside. In fact, on the other side of these doors was the Holy of Holies. The most holy part of the temple. And the way that it worked is God had set forth for the Israelites that when you uh, go into the Holy of Holies, and there's only one person that could do it, it was the high priest, and he went in there only one time a year, and you know what he did when he went into the Holy of Holies? He offered sacrifice for the sins of the whole nation of Israel. The whole country, he offered sacrifice for the sins of everyone through those temple doors. And again, those temple doors showed us there's this separation we have from God. That God is holy and that we are not. That we need His forgiveness. This isn't something that we can earn. This isn't some merit-based faith that we have. It's only through His plan. And they would sacrifice animals in the Old Testament. And then we know that the Son of God came as the sacrificial lamb once and for all to fulfill all the requirements of God. The temple doors. Another representation. Another door from uh, Scripture uh, that you're probably familiar with is the door of the tomb. You know the door of the tomb where they had ro rolled the stone in the way that stone covered the opening of the tomb and again represented that we wanted to be with God but we could not. Uh, there were, the Bible records there were mourners at the tomb. They were sitting outside and think about uh, what, what it would have felt like to be a disciple, to be a Christ follower in that time. Or to even have you know, walked with Jesus and talked with Jesus and, and hugged Jesus and shared meals with Jesus and heard His teaching. And you knew this is the Son of God. But how defeated that it felt to you when they hung him on a cross. And he had all the power in his pinky to get off that cross and defeat all the Romans and, and to go on and be victorious. But it was through a different way. It was through God's plan. You see, God's rule from the beginning was if there's sin, something has to die. And blood is the atonement. And it was only through the blood of Jesus. Jesus had to die to atone for our sins. For the sins of those who have committed sins in the past, 
for all the ones, the sinners that He will save in the future. It's only through the blood of Jesus. And to be one of His disciples and followers and, and one of His close friends, and to see His body wrapped in linen cloth and laid inside the tomb, and this big stone rolled away. And not only that, but we're going to post a Roman guard there and seal it with a Roman seal. Anyone that broke the Roman seal, you just be put to death. As they're crying outside, that door represented that we want to be with God. We want to be with Jesus. He's just right there. How hard is it that we feel like we're out here and He's inside of there, and yet we see that that door of the tomb represented much because we know the story. Resurrection Day, Easter Sunday morning, the stone is rolled away and Jesus defeats death, defeats the devil and all of his plans and walks out alive. And Romans chapter 6 says that in him we can have newness of life ourselves. That that same resurrection power that raised the Son of God from the dead, that walked him out of that tomb, can walk you out of the tomb that you're in. Maybe your tomb is the sinfulness you've been given into your whole life, and you can have hope through the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. There's the door of the tomb. So we have the door of the ark. We've got the uh, Passover door, the temple door, the door of the tomb. The next one is the wide and the narrow doors. Uh, This is often referred to in most translations as the wide and narrow gates. Uh, Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 7 in the Sermon on the Mount. He says that wide is the gate. It can also be translated door in Greek. Uh, Wide is that gate. Wide is that door. And wide is the path that leads to destruction. And many will find it. But narrow is the gate. Narrow is the door. Narrow is the path that leads to life. And only a few find it. And again, these doors represent so much, don't they? There's the wide one. It's, easy. it's easier to get in and out of, but it represents destruction. And so many people choose that way of life, that, that way of sinfulness and giving into temptation and walking away from God, walking away from the narrow entrance and going through the wide one. And yet there are some except Christ as Savior, that decide to live and dedicate their life for Him, and they find it through the narrow way. I've shared five with you this morning. And again, this is not an exhaustive list, but the last one I want to share with you this morning is this. The sixth door this morning is the shepherd's door. The shepherd's door. I want to explain it through the picture. You see, the way the shepherd's door worked is just like you see in the picture. The the shepherd would actually sit in the doorway and they would build a crowd, usually just like this, made of stone. And at night, they would run all the sheep into this corral because the wolves and and the coyotes and the predators were out that wanted to eat them. And of course, they'd hunt at night and try to sneak up on the sheep. And so the shepherd's job was to be the door. It was to be the door to stand there and and the, the, the door that's protecting the flock and the door that's keeping you know, the, the evil and the outside and, and keeping that away. And it's so symbolic. And yet, in, in John's Gospel, in, in chapter uh, 10, Jesus talks about that He is the door. And in this section of Scripture he is where He identifies Himself. You may have heard this before where He says, I am the good shepherd. And I lay down my life for my sheep. Look what He says in verse 9 of uh, John chapter 10, beginning with verse 9. He says, I am, this is Jesus talking, He says, I am the door. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. 
And he will go in and out and find pasture because Jesus is a good Savior. He loves us and He cares for us. And then he gets to verse 10. It says, the thief, talking about Satan here, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I came that they may have life and that they may have it abundantly. The abundant life that everyone in this room this morning, that everyone who's online this morning, that everyone who's sleeping in, worshiping at St. Mattress this morning. The abundant life that we all desire is actually only found in Jesus Christ. It's only found in Him. He says, I am the door. Jesus goes on later in John's Gospel um, as He's in the upper room with the disciples. And He says this, He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Me. You know, in this day and age with tolerance and, you know, uh, plurality, it's like, well, hey, uh, Jesus, what he meant to say was, I am a way, a truth, and a life, and uh, you can come to the Father through me or some other way that you choose. No, 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 no. Very exclusive Christianity. Very exclusive the claims of the actual Son of God. I am the way, the truth, and the life. What does he say here in chapter 10, verse 9? I'm the door. I'm the door. And if you want to enter into the presence of my Heavenly Father, you're going to do it through me. Because I paid the price. I paid the price for you. The price of your salvation was so costly because it cost me my life. But I chose, because I'm the good shepherd, I chose to lay my life down for the sheep. And I sit in the door of the corral now to protect you and to bring you into the heavenly presence of God at the end of your life whenever that time is appointed by God. Not only that, I come to bring you abundant life now. Your best life that you could ever have in this world is worshiping and living for Jesus Christ. I'm the door. We have to choose whether we're going to enter in, accept Christ as Savior and Lord. I want to end with this this morning. There's, there's two, two really application points for us this morning. The first is, is that if you are outside of Christ Jesus this morning, if you feel like, man, that illustration of the floodwaters are coming, we can see all the signs around us, and the door is shutting, and I'm going to be one of the ones on the outside that's beating on it, saying, let me in, I'm sorry, I, I, I should have responded. I felt like God was leading, but I didn't want to do it, and guys yeah, putting it off. We saw three great examples of it this morning of students. And that shouldn't shock you. Jesus says a child shall lead them, lead the adults, have the faith. Timothy says, let no one look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers, for the old believers in speech, life, love, faith, and purity. That we should respond in faith, putting our faith in Jesus Christ, calling him our Savior and Lord, accepting him walking that out in this, this beautiful illustration he gives us in, in, in through baptism. Buried in the watery grave of baptism. Buried in sin. Being raised to walk in newness of life because of what Jesus has done for us. If that's you this morning and you say, I am outside of the door. Jesus says, come on in. But he is the door. You enter into salvation. You enter into eternal life. You enter in
to God's kingdom through him. But maybe an application even more than that is for those of us, most of us in this room probably, that feel like, hey, yeah, but I've made that decision and I am on the inside of the door. That's wonderful. But your mission now is to bring as many people into the ark of God with you as you possibly can. Through the sharing of your faith, through your witness, through your personal testimony, through whatever it takes, sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus with those outside. So that when the door finally shuts, and we don't know when that is, but we know it's coming, and we know it's a lot closer than it used to be, the signs in the scripture are clear. How will it feel if one of your family is outside? Beating on the door saying, let me in. And you're like, God shuts the door. It says in Genesis that God, the Lord is the one that's in control of this thing. And he, he shut the door of the ark. He chose to save Noah and his family. And to let those that were violent and full of sin to wipe the world out to start over with Noah and his righteous family. It's our job to do the Great Commission, to make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples. It's God's plan. How is he going to get the word out through the whole earth? It's us telling others, sharing our faith with others. And so if you feel like, hey, yes, I'm saved, I've made that decision, and I'm in God's protection this morning, share that faith with others. I'm going to pray that God gives you just this white white hot sense of mission in your heart that just makes you tell everyone you come into contact, contact, contact with about Jesus. That everyone that hears from you hears something about your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I just can't imagine what it would be like if your friends, your family, your co-workers, if some of them say, I never, you never even told me. And now the door is shut and it's too late. Let's pray. Lord God, I just pray you give us the sense of urgency for the gospel. That Lord, we, we hear it in Scripture. We read about it in Scripture. Lord, we can feel it in our hearts. There are those that are lost right now that need you so desperately. And so God, I just pray that all of us in here that would find ourselves, that we have entered into the door of salvation through Jesus Christ, Lord, that we would be constantly seeking others that need to be there with us. Constantly giving them the opportunity to hear about the good news of the gospel. But Lord, also this morning, God, I believe there's someone in here right now that says, you know what? I need to do this. I need to quit putting it off. I'm feeling the presence of God in my heart. I feel the presence to be obedient to Him. I, 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 I do. I, I believe. I, I put my faith in Him. I put my trust in Him. Lord, if there's anyone that that makes that choice, that makes that decision today. Lord, I pray after this service, they would, they would come down front, they would, they would talk to, to one of our staff or one of our elders. But God, that they wouldn't delay, that they wouldn't put that off, that this could truly be a time, God, where we give our hearts and our minds and our lives over to you. So God, just continue to stir in us that visual of the door that we need to enter in. And God, may we choose to walk in it. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.